Welcome into Monday's edition of Hot Takes. I'm David Smith alongside Cody Blazak. And my name is David Smith with a broken bracket. My name's Cody Blazak without a broken bracket. <laughs> it ain't broken yet. I personally picked Kentucky to win it all. And I hope I'm not the only one out there that did that. I don't think I am. I'm pretty sure there's quite a few of you who did the same. Put blind faith in this talented veteran-led Kentucky team. With supposed to be one of the best coaches in all of college basketball. And they got beaten by a school from New Jersey. The first New Jersey team to win a NCAA tournament game since the year 2000 when Seton Hall won one. And Seton Hall was not the one who won the tournament game on Thursday. St. Peter's. Same coach and everything. Can't remember his name to save my life, but Sha- I know it's Shaheen, the same coach. Shaheen Holloway. He was the point guard on that Seton Hall team in 2000. Or won that same game. player. Yeah. Excuse me. And now he's led St. Peter's. Not only to the round of 32, where they faced off with Murray State yesterday, or day before yesterday, beat them. They punched a ticket to the, round, to, to the Sweet 16. Who'd have thought? The only thing they're really... They, they've gotten hot here, of course, which takes that in March. But they ranked in the top 25 in defense, overall defensive efficiency. That's kind of what's led them here. They've been able to just get a stop when it mattered most. They really kind of handled Murray State pretty easily. Anything really crazy there. I feel like they would have matched up better with San Francisco in that game. But what'd you see in this Kentucky game? Like what 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 do you think led to this? I don't think that Kentucky necessarily played bad. I just think St. Peter's outplayed them. I mean Oscar Shiway did what you thought Oscar Shiway would do. You can't ask for more than thirty points and sixteen rebounds. The performances from Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler were not what, what you would have hoped for. But they it was an overall good team play. But I, the St. Peter's team just, it looked like they outplayed them. Daryl Banks third, also just had a night. I, I mean, 5 of 8 from 3, went 9 of 19 from the field. I, I think it's just one of those nights when you got outplayed. Yeah, St. Peter's shot 51% from the field, 52% from three. Kentucky attempted 35 free throws and shot 23 of 35 for a 65.7%. Whereas St. Peter's shot 85.7%, rounded up to 86% from the line. That's the big difference in this game. Kentucky was unable to really make free throws at a high percentage, and it cost them their season. It really did. We've seen that time and time again where teams haven't made free throws and lost games. It seemed like there's a lot of there – were, there were – in the game that I remember last night, watching TCU in Arizona. That was a fun one. We'll get to the Wildcats in a second. But that game, TCU had multiple opportunities at the line to kind of put the game on ice, make it a two-possession game late, and they were unable to. We see teams losing their seasons because they can't make free throws. You can you can even say that about Purdue and Texas. Purdue ended up winning that game by 10. It was cl- I think it was closer than that score shows, though. Absolutely. But Purdue also had 40-something free throws. It was, the exact number was 46. They shot 46 three throws. Went 33-46. Texas was in that game late. If, if Jaden Ivey isn't on that team, that very well is Texas's game. Jaden Ivey had a bunch of clutch shots at the, in the last five minutes of regulation. Another fun game to watch on Thursday was the Richmond Spiders over the Iowa Hawkeyes. Iowa was in my Final Four. They were in quite a few people's Final Four. They were very hot at the moment. They had just won the Big Ten Conference Tournament. They were streaking. They looked like they were ready to come out and play extremely well. 
Nobody really gave Richmond a fighting chance because they just won their conference tournament as well. They won their conference tournament to get here. Iowa shot 20% from three, 36% overall from the field. That's not going to win you a game in March. The Hawkeyes came out flat, and Richmond made them pay for it. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't know much about this Richmond's team. Uh, it, it's one of those teams where it's March. I, I don't know what else to say about it. Unexpected things happen. I Props to, to Richmond. I, I don't know what else to say about them. A few new coaching hires in the SEC just announced right now. Murray State's head coach Matt McMahon is now the new head coach at LSU. That's a fun one to watch. But on Thursday, New Mexico State faced off against UConn. Speaking of New Mexico State, Chris Jans. We're out of Mississippi State University here at WMSV. Seems like a fantastic fit for a hire at Mississippi State University. I'm sure you guys will cover it more on the dudes tomorrow. Yeah. But what's your impression on this hire? Man Tanner talked about it when it happened. And his his biggest concern was he was fired at Bowling Green for conduct at a bar. I, my biggest thing is we were all saying Rick Pitino, Rick Pitino. I mean, he, he, he was a cheater. Why are we giving Vans all of this worry if we were so hot on Rick Pitino and all the allegations and everything? So, uh, to me, I like it. I mean, he was 100 and, what was it, 132 or something, and or 122 and 32 at New it, Mexico the, State. Currently, the, among active coaches, he's the fourth highest winning percentage behind Mark Few, Coach K, and I want to say Jay Wright as well. I think that that sounds right. I, I think it's a good. I, I think it's a good hire. I, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, would I have liked Rick Pitino? Yes. Am I okay with this hire? Yes. I, I, I think he can lead this team to a tournament appearance in the next three years. I think it was probably the best hire possible of the guys that were there. Um, I would have preferred San Francisco's head coach, probably, um, just based on the way that he plays. He's coached basketball. He led San Francisco to a tournament appearance for the first time in years, years and years and years. But Chris Jans is about to come in and, and implement a system that is going to be very, very perfect for this. He's a he's a proven winner. His Bowling Green stuff, I'm not worried about. He got fired there. I've seen the video. It's not like it's not anything crazy. He was a little drunk in a bar and made a little mistake. You think other coaches haven't done this before and it just wasn't caught on video? I, uh, I guarantee sure, yeah. when we didn't have cell phones like this, this happened all the times in the eighties. Absolutely, no doubt about it. I'm not I'm not concerned with that at all. And he no. went from Bowling Green to a better situation in New Mexico State where he got hired there. I mean, that was – it worked out for the best for him because now look at him. He's in a power conference at a power school. The, the one thing I wish is he would have been hired this year because he really likes that bench. This Mississippi State squad was a relatively – they had a deep bench. And I, I would have liked to see how he implemented them and how this team would have turned out. Sadly, we're not going to get to see that, and we're going to lose a ton of players. It's going to be interesting to watch. I don't know if we're going to lose a ton of players. Or not. We're going to lose Iverson and Garrison for sure. I don't know if Iverson leaves. I, I don't know. Um, Garrison is gone for sure. Well, Garrison, I don't think Garrison has any eligibility left. That's what I'm saying. He's gone. Yeah, J.B. Davis is gone to the transfer portal, but that was that was one that was going to come whether or not Ben Hallam was here or not. He, Tol- just, he just wants more playing time. Tolu is a question. Tolu is a question. I think Iverson's a big question too. Iverson's gotten the ability to watch a lot of players that have been there before him. Some of the guys that come to mind necessarily are 
you know, he, he wasn't necessarily here for, for Lamar Peters and for most of Nick Weatherspoon's career. Uh, both the Weatherspoon brothers. Yeah. Quindary went pro when he should have, um, and he's having a great career in the G League. Nick Weatherspoon and Lamar Peters both overseas now. DJ Stewart's doing great in the G League, but if he could have stayed another year, he could have he could have easily become a nice – I think he could have built to become an NBA player. Iverson's gotten a chance to watch these guys leave a year early and not make the most of themselves. I think Chris Jan's got to make a pitch to keep Iverson Molinar. To keep, I don't think Taylor Smith is going to leave. Um, I, I know at the beginning of the season – he, like it had been thought very heavily, and there were a lot of people saying he is going to the draft. With all the injuries this year, he didn't get a whole lot of playing time. Totally. And when he did, yeah. yeah. And when he did play, he didn't play great in every game. No, it so, was, was never really 100% this year, I don't think. No, so I, I could see why he comes back, but I'm just not sure he will. I think if he is no longer Mississippi State University, I don't think it's because he goes pro. I think it would be he would transfer before he went pro. Um, I don't think it would be a great move for him, but they've got a decent recruiting class coming in. That'll be one to watch, too, as well, see if they'll still come here, even without Howland here. And rumors surrounding Ben Howland now have him seemingly lined up to be a potential next head coach at San Francisco, which I think will be perfectly fit for him. Ben Howland, I liked him as a coach. I liked him as a recruiter. I think he's a fantastic recruiter, absolutely. Not 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 a big fan of his coaching abilities. He's was he wasn't the fit here. No, I just, just flat I, out. But when he when he's a coach in those mid major conferences, he's proved before he can make he can some get noise. to the tournament. Yeah, because he's it's a great a, recruiter. So if he can sell players to come play in a lower tier conference and be stars, you know he's he's going to do really well at San Francisco if if he gets hired there. Of course, nothing's official there, but uh, he's not done coaching, um, so he'll be somewhere. But this New Mexico State team. They really came out, and they just beat UConn. Teddy Allen in a huge game. But I don't – it wasn't necessarily that UConn played bad. New Mexico State just beat them. Excuse us. We both just had a little frog in our throat. Um, yeah. UConn losing was a big shock to me. Um, I really wasn't high on them all year. But towards the end of the season, I, I kind of started to like them a little more. And they just they couldn't get it done against New Mexico State. And then, I mean, New Mexico State went out and played um, Arkansas. Arkansas, and they only lost by five. They gave them a run for their money. They really did. They were just unable to kind of make the shots that they needed to make late in the game. And Arkansas, with that, with that squad Arkansas has, I mean, they're just going to if you can't hit big-time shots, they will close you out. That's just how it is. They're a very talented team. Uh, they've got a date with Gonzaga coming up, which we'll get to all those games in a little while. But I think one of the most fun games in the tournament that I've watched at this point was the San Francisco versus Murray State game. That game was absolutely ridiculous. It was just big shot after big shot after big shot being hit, 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 hit. Late in regulation, and in overtime as well, I mean, it was just such a fun game to watch. I mean, the score in overtime was 19-14. to 14. There were just big shots being 33 hit. 33 points in five minutes between the two teams. That's that's ridiculous. They were just hitting big-time shots. It was just incredible to watch. I wanted the San Francisco team to win, too. I did as well. But, I mean, it was it was what a year for San Francisco, the Dons there. They've, they've done fantastic to get back in the tournament for the first time in, in many years for the school. 
Murray State seems to be kind of a perennial team here. Um, which they turn around and lost to St. Peter's, which is something that not a lot of people expected from St. Peter's there. But nonetheless, a fantastic game. Elsewhere on Thursday, <clears throat> Creighton and San Diego State in a fun 8-9 matchup. Creighton was down big in this game. And they crawled all the way back in. Even without point guard Ryan Nimhard, they were still able to make a run and get it done in that one. Yeah, uh, this Creighton team has been up and down all season long. And to me, you just I thought that they had to do something in March. I didn't know if that was make it to the Elite Eight or just win a game. But I thought they were going to be able to pull something out. And, I mean, they were able to win that game. And they kept it relatively close with Kansas as well. They did, in fact. That Kansas team is just incredibly talented. Very, very powerful there. Moving into some games that happened on Friday that were incredibly fun to watch. Miami and USC was a fun contest. It really was. And we know the Hurricanes are on their Speed 16 now after beating Auburn last night, which we'll get to that game in a little while. But I liked USC in this game. I didn't think Miami was going to be able to match the size. They weren't really able to. Their guard play is just playing incredibly well at the moment. No, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that if USC does win this game, I think Auburn's in the Sweet 16. Auburn matched up really well with USC and all the size that they have. USC, I feel the difference in my mind, at least, the difference between Miami and USC is Miami had nothing to lose. USC was a semi legitimate title contender. At my, one point in the year. Yeah. My, Miami had nothing to lose. USC was all the way up to the AP top 10 at one point. They were sitting at, what, 15-0 and 0 early in the year. They didn't really play anybody in the non-conference. They were, were, were they were they really? Yeah, they were, because it was between them and it was Arizona as the top the last two teams to go undefeated. Yeah, they were on up there. They got all the way up to number five at one point this season before losing their first game of the year to Stanford. They were, I mean, they were all the way up there at one point before eventually dropping back down into the really what kind of felt like the bottom of the top 25, but they still managed to pull out a seven seed and they got this matchup with Jim Larinaga and Miami, which did not end well for them. Speaking of, we knew this team was going to be losing the first round or make a deep run. It was very simple when they faced off against the first four team in Alabama facing off with Notre Dame you kind of got that sense that Notre Dame was about to give them a run for their money. And they did that. They beat them pretty handily in this one. Losing Javon Quinterly early in that game to a knee injury. I'm not sure if the knee injury details have been released yet, but he wasn't unable to return in that game. It did not look like a pretty injury. They just were never able to get past that and recover. It was, I believe it was 5-2 to two at the time he went out of the game. So maybe 3-2. to two. But... Alabama did not meet expectations this season, regardless of how you look at it. Um, yeah, and losing him, uh, when he's one of your key leaders and your key guys, I mean, his college career is over. Um, he announced yesterday. But I, I'm looking now, I, I can't find 
if they announced what his knee injury was. But either way, for this Alabama team, Nate Oates just did not do as well as people had hoped with this team. They they won in big games. They also lost to bad opponents. They, and, they played well at the beginning of the season and just fell off the wagon. Yeah. And there was just never – you knew they shot the three ball a lot, so if they made a lot of threes, they were going to beat people. If they missed a lot, they could lose to about anyone. And they did that here in Notre Dame. Um, which this Notre Dame team has really not played bad at all. Well, this Notre Dame team did what Alabama does. They shot a lot of threes, and they, they didn't shoot a lot, but they made a lot of threes. They went 10 of 16. That That's pretty good, if you ask me. Cormac Ryan went for his career high as well, 29 points in that first-round game. And it just felt like every t- everything he was putting up was going in. And that's just got to be one of the most frustrating things for a defense, because you know... You're doing. You're playing great defense on him, and he's still making shots. Heck, they even played well yesterday. They did, in fact. One team that played really well and still lost was the Chattanooga Mocs. They should not have lost this game to Illinois. Illinois played incredibly bad in this game, and they got bailed out by making some late free throws. And don't get me wrong, Chattanooga didn't play great either, but it felt like they both shot terribly. 38.8% and 32.3%. It's a lot of missing. It definitely is. I mean, Illinois didn't lead for the entire game until with about 20-something seconds left, they took the lead by one and won the game. Their largest lead of the game was one, and they won the game by one. So it just... it just That's a sign of a good team in my eyes is winning a game when you play your worst obviously the next round they got bounced by Houston who's playing really well right now but they were still able to get it to get the job done and that was just really impressive from Illinois there because Chattanooga should have walked away with this game yeah the way Illinois came out is not the way you want a team to come out like you said winning a game like that when you play your worst is a good sign and they made it to the second round, but, I mean, Houston just came out and put them away. This, If Illinois ever really had a chance, though, it was last year. Let's be honest. It was. With uh, Iota Sumo. I mean, if they had a shot, it was going to be last year, and they just couldn't do it. They've had two fantastic teams back-to-back years. And lost in the second round both years, and there was both these teams could have made a deep run this year. Obviously, not as good of a team, but last year they were a one seed. I, I think last year there was a scare in the first round for them too, if they, I recall correctly. They may have, and they were playing a sixteen seed, and it wasn't pretty. I remember, but I'm not sure how how close the end game ended up being. But they still dropped in the second round to Loyola Chicago, which we know them. Of course, they lost in the first round this year to Ohio State, um, which was what a what a great performance put on by Ohio State. It, usually Loyola Chicago plays great defense on teams. They got a little taste of their own medicine here. Holding Ohio State held them to 41 points. It was 23 to 18 at halftime. It was a very defensive battle. When you make 15 shots in a game, you're not winning a game. No. Which is what Loyola Chicago did. And now, Ohio State shot 1 of 15 from 3 and 1. Yeah, but Loyola Chicago shot 15 of 56. Yeah. Half of those, more than half of those shots that were made were three-pointers. 
eight of their 15 shots that they made were three-pointers. Which is not what you want to do if you want to win a basketball basketball game. They also shot 30% from the line. Three of ten. Usually a pretty good free-throw shooting team. But, I mean, that this just all in all was not their day. And they got bounced in the first round. I didn't think that... I, I'm not the biggest fan of this Ohio State team, but I really like E.J. Liddell. And I just I had a hard time seeing him lose this first-round game. After that, I think it was up in the air. But E.J. E. Liddell, I believe, was the only player this season to score at least in double figures in every game. Alongside Iverson Molinar. Unless, did he score double figures in against Virginia? I'm not sure. Because they lost game. that game in the NIT. <laughs> it was not a pretty game. That was Ben Howland's last game as head coach. But still an, an imp- impressive performance from Ohio State to get to the second round. They gave Villanova all they could handle. Um, Iverson Molinar <laughs> and EJ Liddell were the only two players this season scoring double figures in every single game. You know, Liddell had a crazy year. Molinar did as well, of course. LSU came into the tournament without a head coach. No Will Wade. And they were still a very popular pick to make it to the Sweet 16. Um, everyone kind of felt they would take down Wisconsin. Nobody was really buying into Wisconsin. The winner of this game, you kind of had a sense of a feeling they would they would beat Wisconsin. I thought it would be LSU. I had LSU in my Sweet 16. Iowa State, however, came out and played incredibly well and were able to take down the LSU Tigers and then turn around and beat Wisconsin. Pretty like they 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 handled that game, especially in the second half. They were just able to make big stops and they needed it and get big time shots and they needed the most. Iowa State looks like a legit threat, especially after the season last year that they had. Yeah, this is impressive. Um, this is another one of those games though where if you would have made your free throws, you probably would have won this game if you're LSU. Sixteen of twenty three, then went seventy percent. I mean, it's not terrible, but. Only four of nineteen from three, and we're still in the game. After, I mean, Iowa State shot a lot of threes. But they made twelve of them, um, and they were. I mean, LSU was still in this game. You're right; if they would have made their free throws, also the turnover differential is big in this one. Nineteen turnovers for LSU. They typically turn the ball over a lot. They do, but their defense usually bails them out for it. Not in this one, though. Nineteen just feels like a little too many, especially when you can't make free throws as well. Yeah, it's it's. Turnovers and free throws lose games. And they missed free throws, and they had a lot of turnovers. Michigan State and Davidson was a fun one Friday evening. This one was crazy, back and forth. It felt like a home game for Davidson. There were a lot of big-time Davidson fans there. The game was played in South Carolina uh, in Greenville, not too far from the Davidson campus, so a lot of fans traveled there. And this was a crazy game. They gave Izzo and Michigan State everything they can handle, and Michigan State still prevailed. I mean, it was back and forth all game long. It was. The, the largest lead was, what, five? If that, I think it was five. It was just close. The, My bad, it was seven. Yeah, either either way, still. Michigan State close. led by seven with a minute 15 left. Led by seven, and they only won by one. Davidson came. Michigan State made a couple of turnovers late in that game that led Davidson back into the game. They were unable to really close them out all the way. 
My bad. I lied. Michigan State was ahead by eight with 59 seconds left, and they only won by one. Yeah. I mean, they, they there was a couple of late turnovers there. They weren't able to close them out. Davidson almost made him pay for it, too, though. It was close. Um, it was really a four-point win for Michigan State, but it was kind of one of those things they made two free throws late. We're up by four, and Davidson hits a three at the buzzer just for fun, you know. Why not? It's your end of your season, and Colgate gave Wisconsin all they can handle as well. The Badgers prevailed there. Colgate was a popular pick last year to take down Arkansas. They were another popular pick this year to beat Wisconsin. They shoot the three ball well. They were able to hang in this game, but the Badgers, they've, they've pulled away late, so we're able to, to take that one there. Yeah, well, uh, Johnny Davis played a heck of a game. I mean, when your best player has a game like that, you're usually going to have a tough time losing. They're, they're usually the difference maker. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Let's get to these rounds of 32 games because all of these were fun for the most part. Starting things off on Saturday, we had the UNC Tar Heels and the Baylor Bears in just one of the most insane games that I've seen in a long, long time. UNC was up to 25 with a little over 10 minutes left. Brady Manick gets ejected for a flagrant two. An elbow to the head. I'm not sure if a flagrant two was warranted in that situation. Um, very controversial call. It would be a lot more controversial if UNC would have lost this game. But Baylor was down 25, came all the way back to tie the game. I mean, James Akinjo with a big time and one and converted the free throw too, which that's the toughest part right there, making that free throw, knowing you've got to do a hit to tie the game. And forced overtime. And all the momentum was on Baylor's side. It felt like Baylor was really going to win this game in overtime. UNC battled back with Armando Baycott and prevailed. Well, the way I look at this is Brady Manick got ejected with 10 minutes to play. He had 26 points with 10 minutes to play. He might have had a 40-piece game if he would have been left in that game. And this game who knows what the score would have been. It never would have gotten close if Manick was still in the game. I mean, he was shooting lights out, too. Four of eight from three, eight of thirteen on the from the field. I mean, I, UNC is way too good to be an eight seed. They are. When they released that they were an eight seed, I, I saw problems coming for whoever they faced, and I, I what. What the committee does is tough. But they finished the season, or going into the ACC tournament ranked number 25th in the country. I have a hard time putting them as an 8 seed. I, maybe a 6 seed. Maybe a 5 if you're lucky. But they dominated Marquette. They beat them by, what, 30? They could have probably beat Baylor by 20. If Brady Manick wasn't ejected. Oh, yeah. And Caleb Love fouled out with a little over six minutes to go as well. Losing your top point guard, two of your superstars, and being expected to close out a tournament game against the defending champions. They still managed to get it done, which is a sign of a great team. It really is. Uh, no, I, yeah, I agree. I think that whatever the um, – right now the spread – 
for the UCLA North Carolina game is UCLA minus two. I think that's a big mistake. I think that is a very big mistake. And as much as I like this UCLA team, I don't think they have a clue what's coming at them. I, I, North Carolina is playing incredibly, incredibly well at the moment. That they, they very well could win this tournament. They definitely could. And they could definitely. I mean, that the, there are two teams that I'd be okay if they broke my bracket: St. Peter's and North Carolina. I'll be perfectly content with it. This just this Baylor team. It kind of felt like in overtime, and Matthew Meyer fouled out. That it was kind of coming. You know, that was close. Matthew Meyer was playing with four fouls for a solid portion of the second half. He took, I believe I counted, four charges with four fouls, which is insane. It was it was incredible to watch because regardless, he knew he had four fouls, and he still stood in there and took the charge. A lot of guys, when they have four fouls, they'll step out of the way. They're going to give up the layup before they commit a fifth foul. Matthew Meyer stood in there and forced four turnovers by taking charges to get Baylor back in this game. He's an incredibly fun player to watch, and I've got a feeling he won't be coming back to Baylor next year. Um, but a spirited effort from Baylor fell short there. Another spirited effort from Creighton against the Kansas Jayhawks. I mean, this is another example of, of, a, of Creighton giving Kansas all they can handle. Um, Creighton, I mean, if they, had, if they had you know, Ryan Nimhard in this game, it could be different. I think Kansas... There, I, there are two teams right now out of the 16 that are left that I feel a lot of people aren't talking about and I think can, could and probably will be very dangerous. One of them is Kansas. One of them is UCLA. I haven't heard anything about UCLA. No one's talking about them. And when you have a team like UCLA that is as talented as they are with Johnny Juzang, and he's not playing his best whatsoever, Jaime Hawkes, who is that guy that just fills in for whoever is playing like crap, and then... Tiger Campbell has been playing lights out in this tournament and he is I was not impressed with him all season long so if you get those three players playing the way they they need to and nobody's talking about you I think that's motivation and I think this team could be scary but as I got sidetracked this Kansas Creighton game you knew that Kansas was going to have that one game that was closer than it should be and most teams do in a run like this. And it might be Creighton. They might dominate the rest of their games. But Creighton gave them a run for their money. And at the end of the day, Kansas is a better team, and they showed that. Yeah, absolutely. And it was it's thrilling for Jayhawk fans. You look at the rest of their run, or the rest of their just their region right now. They've got this Providence team coming up who a lot of people doubted them. Many people picked... South Dakota State to beat them. And if you didn't have South Dakota State beating them, a lot of people picked Iowa to beat them. And now Providence is here in the Sweet 16. Big East regular season champions. They've got a can they've got a date with Kansas, but still Providence feels like one of the weaker four seeds. Like if I looked at the four seeds and I was picking one to play, I'd pick Providence. And on the other side of of this region you've got in in the Midwest region, you've got Miami and Iowa State. Ten and eleven seeds. Still fantastic teams. Facing off against each other, we will, we will have a double-digit seed in the Elite Eight. Just one of them is going to win that game. And if Kansas gets past Providence, they've got a double-digit seed waiting for them in the Elite Eight. Their path to the Final Four is the easiest of any team left, I think, personally. Providence? Uh, no, for, for Kansas. 
Oh, yes, 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 Kansas yes. path to the Final Four. With these next two games coming up this weekend, it's got to be the easiest of any team left. Mm, probably, yeah, I would have to say so. I, Providence shouldn't even be in this tournament still. No. They, uh, but they've, they've credit where credit is due. Providence has played incredibly well. This is one of those um, games where games. this is where this is one of those games where I think Kansas is going to go in and just uh, eat Providence for dinner. I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a thirty-point game. I don't know if I wouldn't be surprised, or I hope it's a thirty-point game. This Providence team is growing on me, and I think it's because all season long they were not a great shooting team. They've had the talent. They've played great defense. They've been in a lot of close games. They're eleven and two in games decided by less than five points. I've never been big on them. I have just ripped them time and time again about how they shouldn't be here, and how they, they were gonna, shouldn't be here. They should be. They shouldn't. They they, brought, they haven't played well enough to be a four seed, but now they're playing like it. They. Well, I, I think that's going to end. I, yeah, it, I, I mean, think it'll end Thursday, or is it Friday? I don't even remember which day it'll be, but either way, they. I mean, you look at Providence's path. They played a 13 seed, then a 12 seed, then they play a one seed. I agree. I think Kansas takes care of business here, big time. The SEC tournament champion is out of the tournament. The SEC as a whole has not done well in the NCAA tournament at all. There's one SEC team remaining in Arkansas after getting a win over New Mexico State. Michigan just took it to Tennessee. Absolutely took it to him. It was close. It was close in this game in the second half. Tennessee just just fell off. It felt, and once that against against this Michigan team, which is a good team, a very good team, somebody who was preseason number four. So you know how talented they are. Tennessee just I mean, they, they just they were a very hot Final Four pick. Some people's champion pick based on how hot they were late in the SEC play. Because everyone knew how good the SEC was and how stacked it is. And I think that people don't need to overreact based on the SEC's performance in the NCAA tournament. This is still a fantastic basketball conference. Yeah, I mean, it's March. These things happen. Yeah. Uh, it, there should be no surprise. It's You could say the same about the ACC. My Lord, I didn't think this would happen to them. And we said this last year about Pac-12. Coming into the tournament, they're not a good conference. Come tournament time... They played very, very well, and I feel like this is going to happen for the next couple years. The Power Five conferences are going to be so just competitive and play so well that one of those five conferences is not going to look strong, and we'll, we're going to be like, what happened come March? I think that'll happen for the next three or four years. Either way, this Michigan team punched their ticket to the Sweet 16, and they've got... They've got a matchup awaiting them with Villanova. And I'm very, very excited for this game. Because Michigan's got some offensive firepower. Obviously not quite what Villanova has. But if they can shoot the ball just a little bit better than they have all year all year long, just kind of like the way they've been playing the last couple of games, they can, they can take down the Wildcats in Villanova and punch their ticket to the Elite Eight. I'm not going to pick them to. I just think they can, absolutely. Villanova looks like they are... Just they're out to win. They are. I mean, they look like a team that has had one goal all season long, and that was one to win a national championship. And they put themselves in a very good spot too. 
I, I, I think that Villanova will get to the Elite Eight. And I think they could probably get to the Final Four too, but it's going to be a tough path and they're going to have to play their best basketball. Yeah, not easy ahead for the Wildcats. If And we'll get to that here in a little while. Elsewhere on Saturday night, we've already talked about how St. Peter's was able to take it to Murray State, but really, this team, the third 15 seed ever in the Sweet 16, no 15 seed has made it past the Sweet 16 ever. In this game against Murray State, I mean, they, they've they've played great defense all year long. St. Peter's has. They've only shot 3 of 13 from 3, but they held the racers shooting 34% from the field, and Murray State didn't help themselves shooting 64% from the free throw line. Murray State never led in this game. St. Peter's wire to wire. Took this one over. And this is a fun team. The Peacocks. I like them. No team has ever made it. No 15 seed has ever made it to the Elite Eight. Never made it to Sweet 16. Never, excuse me, to the Elite Eight. Never won the Sweet 16 game. Is it possible to beat Purdue? Because I think that they can do it. I think they I, can. I haven't liked... You, at the end of the season, was not a fan of Purdue. I'm not. It's just... it's When you look at the two teams that St. Peter's just played, Kentucky is just... That's insane I think performance. Ken, I think Kentucky played well, too. Yeah. I mean, they just... St. Peter's was on one that night. Murray State was just a really, really nice matchup for St. Peter's. Purdue has these two guys, and Jaden Ivey and Zach Eady, who St. Peter's just not going to be able to stop. Zach Eady is just much too... St. Peter's is a little bit of an undersized team. They don't have a ton of size. Zach Eady is like seven foot nine, seven foot thousand. He's huge. He's like I think he's actually like seven three. I think he's about the same build as Christoph Porzingis. Zach Eady is seven four. Yeah. 295 pounds. Yeah, I mean, he is just large. St. Peter's has no idea who's in a matchup against them. In order to beat a Purdue team, you have to hold Jaden. You have to hold this Jaden Ivey to under 15 points, which well, is going to be insanely hard to do. And you're going to lose the rebounding battle. You've got to shoot 50% from the field. If if I'm the St. Peter's team, I would just foul the life out of Zach Eady. He is a decent free throw shooter. He is not a great free throw shooter. Make him earn his points. I mean, he's a – I don't have it on me, but I think it's like a 67% free throw shooter. Make him earn his points. And a guy like him gets tired. So even if you deny him the ball and get him running up and down the court, he he's going to get tired very quick. Anyone that's seven foot – is gets tired quick from all the running they have to do. Zach Eady is a 65.1% free throw shooter. He only plays 19.1 minutes a game. Yeah. he uh, Wear him out. And I feel like when he's not in the game, you're just going to have to outplay Purdue. Jaden Ivey is going to be a difference maker in this game, obviously. He's one of the best players in all of college basketball. But... Well, even... We say Jaden Ivey, but... um. Eric Hunter has played very, very well in this tournament. He he might be one of those guys that you really have to watch when Jaden Ivey isn't doing well, if if that happens. 
It's gonna that's gonna be a fun one to watch, and we'll get to all those Sweet Sixteen games. If not today, then we'll get to them on Wednesday. Elsewhere in the round of thirty-two, we've already touched on UCLA. I was high on the St. Mary's team. I really was. St. Mary's played great defense all game. They just were never able to really get it going, and it they fell at the hands of their leader, uh, Tommy Cousy, who's been their big time big time player. When they beat Gonzaga, he played big. When they dominated Indiana, he played big. He had 11 points, shooting one of seven from three. This was not good for him. And then on the flip side, you've got UCLA over here, shooting 57% from the field against the St. Mary's team, who plays incredible defense. This was just one of those examples of the shots were falling for one team and they weren't falling for the other. The, these are two teams that I feel like, like if they played 100 times, they'd split it 50-50. Probably, yeah. I, it just depends who's on that day. And for St. Mary's, it just was not their day. They nonetheless had a fantastic season, and they're obviously always one to watch in the West Coast Conference. Speaking of the West Coast Conference, Memphis gave Gonzaga everything they could handle. We knew Memphis was a talented team. It felt like all their talent was just incredibly raw, and it still is. And that's kind of the things with having Penny Hardaway as the head coach, is that you're going to get a lot of raw talent. He's never really been able to put it all together. But, I mean, they, they really they pushed Gonzaga to the brink. And Gonzaga was able to find a way to win. They, they really, and they were down 10 at halftime. They put up 51 points in the second half and won by four. There were times in that game where they just fed Drew Timmy and everybody else got out of the way. Like, that's just, that's how it is for Gonzaga. Whenever things start going bad for them, they get Timmy on the low block and they get him the ball. And typically it comes with a two points about every time. Well, Gonzaga shot fifty-two percent from the field as well. If it, they typically do that, like like every a lot of teams when they, they shoot also don't play a lot of good teams. I know. Most I feel like most Power Five teams would shoot that way in that conference. But my point is, is if they shoot a percent or two lower, Memphis might win this game, and it might be like a a six-point win. Gonzaga has not done themselves any favors this year as well. I mean, this tournament as well. In this, That division was also ridiculously stacked. It was this year. I, I do not understand. I don't understand. I know the committee's job is hard. But I don't understand how if Gonzaga is your number one overall team, how you give them a path this difficult. They're supposed to have the easiest path. Georgia State, yeah, out of the way. Boise State-Memphis, I feel like those are two relatively good teams. I think UConn is a very good team. I think Arkansas is a very good team. I think Alabama is a very good team if they are playing the Alabama basketball they should be playing. I think Texas Tech is a great team. Michigan State, I think in March with Tom Izzo, is very, very good. And then Duke. You don't have an easy matchup. In this division, I mean, there there have been there was there was two games that were won by more than ten points in the first round in that division: Texas Tech and Gonzaga. After that, in the second round, all these games were won by nine points or less. It's a very competitive region. 
Gonzaga was even close in the first round game against Georgia State. It was close. It was about 58, 56 or so before Gonzaga put together a 21-0 run. But they haven't done themselves any favors. They're usually a very good free-throw shooting team. In the first round, they shot 16 of 30 from the line. In the second round against Memphis, they shot 13 of 24 from the line. There's the fifth, 56 and 54.2%. That's incredibly unlike Gonzaga. If they shoot better from the line, they're going to dominate this Memphis team. And if you play, and when you're playing Arkansas, you've, you're going to have to make the free throws. I mean, simply, simply put, Gonzaga is an incredibly talented team. They found ways to win without without helping themselves, just because they don't typically make a ton of mistakes. They don't turn the ball over a lot. They had seven total turnovers against Gonzaga. Memphis only had five, which is incredible, because that's a, that's a team that turns the ball over a lot. They came to play, but if they miss this many free throws against Arkansas, I think the Razorbacks beat them. I do. I, I think the Razorbacks are going to go into this game hot. I, I think this is Gonzaga's game to lose. I mean, I think Arkansas might walk out of this game by double-digit winners. You think Arkansas will come out double-digit winners? Might. They might. I got, I got like three days to think it over. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, elsewhere, moving to Sunday's games. Illinois came out flat against Houston. That's something you can't do against a Houston team. They fought back. They were down by four at halftime, but they just never really put the pieces together in the second half, and it led to Houston kind of pulling away. It was close with about six minutes left or so, and then Houston put together a little 8-0, 9-0 run and never looked back. This Houston team was got a lot of hate throughout the season. They dropped a couple of games. They lost to Tulsa to SMU. I gave them hate. I think you gave them a little hate, too. I mean, I don't like just, this Houston yeah, team. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they haven't looked great all year long. They're, they're they did this together, last man. year, too. <clears throat> they made the Final Four. They never have a difficult road. They don't. You play UAB, then you play an Illinois team who is shaky. Houston, I feel like, never has a difficult road, and they end up going far in the tournament, and I'm like, y'all are not that good. If you... Their road gets if, a lot more difficult yeah, now. Who was the five seed in that Gonzaga region? It was... The five seed in the Gonzaga region... Is UConn. And Gonzaga's region... And the I think New Mexico region. State would have beaten Houston. It's possible. Very, very possible. And I, like U, I liked UAB to beat Houston. I really did. Um, UAB just came out kind of flat. Houston's defense has been good all year long. Um, their offense just kind of hasn't been there. No, I. Uh, Arizona is going to tear them apart. For Houston to make the Final Four again, they will have to go through the second overall seed, number one seed, Arizona, and then either Villanova or. Kansas. K- no. No, it'll be Villanova or Michigan. I would take all three of those teams over Houston. Michigan's playing great basketball right now. They're, they're probably would be the best game. But I think that I think Villanova takes care of them. So that means Houston would have to beat Arizona, turn around and beat Villanova in the span of three days, forty-eight hours apart. Don't think it's going to happen. I don't. I don't. I don't see it. I think I don't think they get past Arizona. No, not a chance. <laughs> now I think I think Villanova though. You, you, I think Houston could give Arizona a run for their money. And if if Arizona does what they did last night, which we'll get to in a, mean, a minute, where they keep it close and they got to go to overtime and everything, and they 
just are absolutely exhausted at the end of the game, I think Villanova will be a problem for Arizona. Oh, but absolutely. We'll, we'll touch on Arizona here and briefly in a minute. A battle of two fantastic coaches, Michigan State and Duke. This was a fun, fun game to watch. Duke's just the more talented team here, and I feel like that's kind of what set them apart late in this game. The score does not do this game justice. The Duke won by nine. It was a four-point game about the entire second half, if not closer. There was a point in time where Michigan State led the game in the second half. I mean, Izzo in March, you know this Michigan State team's going to give you everything you can you could want and more. They almost were able to do it. They just weren't quite able to get over the hump. And, I mean, this Duke team is just so, so stacked with talent. You could see the joy on Coach K's face. Knowing that his career is not over yet, he's managed to make it to one more one more weekend. Are you okay? You all right? All right. He managed to make it to one more weekend. I mean, props to Duke. Uh, they just they just played when it mattered most. I I think Duke is going to win this all. Uh, Coach K lost his last home game in Cameron Indoor. He lost the ACC championship. I I, I don't think he's losing this tournament. I I really don't. I think he's going to have one of the tar- toughest tournaments he's ever had in his career. But I do not think he's going to lose this. Texas Tech currently is a one-point favorite over the Duke Blue Devils. My fear with that is Texas Tech's defense. Yeah, Texas Tech's defense is is arguably the best in the, in the entire nation. The thing that Duke has on their on their side is yesterday when Texas Tech played Notre Dame, Texas Tech couldn't make a field goal in the last seven minutes. The only reason they won that game is because they could make free throws. Like we've been saying, you make your free throws, you win games. That's the only reason. Texas Tech should have lost that game against Notre Dame. Simple as that. The Texas Tech team is an example of just being able to to find ways to win. They didn't shoot well, but you're right. They made free throws. They turned the ball over a little less, and they took advantage of Notre Dame's turnovers. They really did. Every time Notre Dame turned the ball over, they were able to get out and run. Um, that's what that's what great defensive teams do is that they live off their defense and turn defense into productive offense. And that's why I think Texas Tech's going to cause a lot of problems for Duke. Because Duke has so much star power, but sometimes those stars do get a little careless with the ball. They they do. They, they've had a tendency to this year. Uh, ben Carroll seems to be playing at the peak of his game, though, right now. Um, he seems to be wanting to go higher than number three in the draft. I don't know if he will, but... It's going to be an incredibly fun matchup, and we'll get to all those matchups. But I know this is the part of the show that Cody's been waiting for. We're 50 minutes in right now. The Auburn Tigers season has concluded. The Miami Hurricanes beat them by 18 points. Miami came out and played incredibly well. Jabari Smith did not shoot the ball well at all. That team played terrible. It, they did. They, they came out flat. They and played awful. And I mean, like... Looking at this this Auburn lineup, I mean, Jabari Smith shot 3 of 16. Walker Kessler, 0 of 6. He's taking nothing but layups. You've got Katie Johnson and Zeb Jasper shooting a combined 5 of 15. I mean, Wendell Green off the bench shooting 4 of 14. They shot 19% from behind the arc and 30% from from in, from any everywhere, 30% overall. You shoot like that against anybody, you're going to lose. Miami was happy to be the lucky, lucky team that night. I, now that the season is over, I will say this. Yes, Auburn had a good squad this season. No, they are not a great team. And I've been saying that all season long. 
but they're by no means a great team on the road or away from home. They 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 showed it from middle of the season all the way on. Their last five uh, nine games of the season, they went five five and four. They were falling off the wagon, and when they couldn't win games on the road, that's when it really hurt them. That, I think that's when people knew this Auburn squad is going to have troubles. And as biased as I am and don't like Auburn, I think most sports fans should have seen that this Auburn team does not perform well on the road. And if you, and if you put them in an environment that's not at home in one of the biggest tournaments in all of sports, to me, I have a hard time believing they're going to do well. And let's just put it this way. I'm happy. Javari Smith just is, is going to go to the draft. I think he should go number one overall. He number played three, maybe number two. Who would you take one? Who I would take number one all season long. Ben Caro. No. Ben, I, ben Caro's a great player. Don't get me wrong. And he's really probably going to go number one in the draft, and then it's going to be Chet Holgram or Javari Smith. I would take Javari one. And I think I think it's going to depend. It wouldn't shock me to see Chet go one either, depending on whatever team gets that number one. Uh, yeah, I think break. that's another big thing is yeah. which team is getting it. Because if you're looking for, because Jabari is a fantastic three, uh, borderline stretch four. I mean, he could he's a big he's a big player. He's Jabari huge. is kind of one of those players that you could put at every position. Yeah, Ben Carroll's more of a compact guard. He he's not really a guard, but he's a two three flex. I think Jabari Smith reminds me of. A smaller magic, based on size and what he can do. Yeah, I mean, just a little smaller. All three of these guys are incredibly talented, and if, but if you get a team, someone like, I don't, I don't even know. I mean, maybe Detroit, who's, I mean, you've kind of already got your your guys of the future. You've got Sadiq Bay and Cade Cunningham. You've kind of got the the ball handlers and the scores taken care of, and you're really missing a. a a big time big man. It wouldn't shock me to see them take Chet number one. But I think that out of those three players, I think Chet should go number three. It's just all going to depend where it all lines up. But we've still got a couple of games to cover here. Last thoughts here: Miami has a great path to get to the Elite Eight. They've got Iowa State next. I think they match up really well. It's going to depend if Isaiah Brockington for the Cyclones is able to come out and play incredibly well. The coolest thing I heard last night are the Hurricanes and the Cyclones are going to the Windy City. I think that's so cool. That Just cool. all of those three names together. <laughs> that is cool. That's fantastic. And they're, they're, that region's going to be fun, too, because you've got... I think Kansas beat Providence. I think Miami beats Iowa State. You've got Kansas and Miami. And that's going to be a fun, fun game if we get it. That's going to be a really, really fun game. The last two games of that night, we've talked about Texas and Purdue briefly already. But, I mean, Purdue, when they needed... Big time shots most. Jaden Ivey just, just came up and played incredibly well. It just kind of felt like once the ball hit his hands, he was going to take a shot, and you just felt like he was going to make it. it that shouldn't have been a 10-point game either. That no, was much it should, closer than on much stretch. Closer. Absolutely. But Jaden Ivey is a clutch player. He's going to make big time plays and big time moments, and that's exactly what he did. 
The final game of the evening last night. Speaking of big-time players making big-time plays. Benedict Matherin. New favorite player in the NCAA. Johnny Juzang is now number two. This guy is a big-time player. Should be a lottery pick coming up. I would take him in the lottery just because of how much he's a gamer. You know the one thing I realized about him last night? I did not realize how small he was. He's six foot six. I know, but compared to everyone else on the floor, he looks tiny. But, I mean, nonetheless, this game was just crazy. TCU gave them everything they could handle. TCU had a guy down low nicknamed Big Eddie, who had his career high in points, sixth double-double of his career. He put up 18, 19 points and 11 boards. And he gave them everything they could handle and then some. Coloco couldn't stick with Big Eddie. He couldn't handle it. He, he was, he was. I mean, Big Eddie was, for the moment. The, the final possession in regulation is what I want to talk about, too. An arguable foul at half court there. Like a body bump, something that could have been called. Usually referees hold their whistle in these kind of situations. And then Arizona's running down the floor. You've got their two guards. Last name's Terry. His first name is blanking my mind right now. Looks up at the clock, sees there's seven, seven, eight tenths of a second left. He lays it up. We don't go to overtime. The game is over. He chooses to dunk the basketball. Now we've got five more minutes of game time. I just don't understand how you, in this situation, late game, you're looking at the clock and you think, I have time for a dunk with less than a second left. And you're at the free throw line. You just need to just lay it. If you laid it up, he went up with two hands for a dunk. I mean, just, just a one hand layup. This game is over. Well, we get the first buzzer beater of March. <laughs> there's a part of me that's glad that that happened because if that would have counted or he laid it up or whatever, all the talk would be is the controversial foul at half court. Yeah. Arizona walks away off controversial foul, blah, blah, blah. Instead, we got the five minutes. Arizona outplayed them in overtime. I would rather see that than a layup or a dunk or whatever to beat the buzzer to win that game. So I'm glad it happened. I don't understand why he didn't lay it up. I don't know if he – I feel like there's so much adrenaline being like, oh, wouldn't this be an awesome ending to a game with a huge slam with less than a second left? So, heck, we say, we're talking about that. Matherin's three with 12 seconds or 17 seconds left. Big time. Uh, when I was watching that game last night, I don't know if it was the play-by-play or the analyst that was like, you need to get a big-time shot right here. That was a big-time shot. It was an incredibly, incredibly fun game to watch. Coloco's dunk kind of sealed it there. The put-back dunk off of one of Matherin's fadeaway threes. That was crazy. The madness is not over yet. The Sweet 16 is coming up starting on Thursday. Cody and I will be back on Wednesday previewing and taking our picks on all of those games. For Cody Blazak, I'm David Smith. This has been Monday's edition of Hot Takes.